What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, which is the recording of our live show, Anthro Alert. You can now listen at your leisure and at your convenience. If you're new here on Anthro Alert, this is where Renee and I, your hosts, and sometimes a guest, analyze, break down, and discuss different topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Hey, Bulls. Listening to WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa. 1620 a.m. Uh, on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. It's uh, 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon, so you know what that means. It means you're listening to Anther Alert, so thank you for tuning in. Um, if you have listened to the show before, you know what we're all about, but if not, you may be curious, what what is this thing you call Anther Alert? I, I'm curious as to why I'm sitting here now. Yeah, well... Well, let me fill you in. Um, as as my notes are loading, stall, stall. Okay, here we go. So, Anthro Alert. This is a show about anthropology and simply why it matters. Each week, we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time, we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics and current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists and students of anthropology to better connect with uh, the USF uh, community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our shows with the disclaimer that the, states, the statements we make here on the show and the opinions we express on Anthro Alert are ours and ours alone and may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF, or student government. And that has been two weeks since... We have been on the show. Yeah, you know, we had to take just a little bit of time yep. to, you know, get some of the post-production done on, on the audio and video that we have. So yep. that way we can get those things posted onto anthroalert.com. Yep. And, you know, of course, the YouTube channel. Uh, you can also reach us on Twitter. Um, or you could you could call in the show, 813-974-9285. We'll answer your questions live on the air yep. with no pre-screening whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Because we don't know how to do it. Yeah, we should figure that out. It's a technical issue, or, or actually, no, it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge issue because we don't know. Yeah, we've never I done. Think, before. I think it can be done. Yeah, I think it, it most certainly probably can be done. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, you're listening to Anthro Alert again. Beautiful day in Tampa, Florida. Sunny Tampa, Florida, where the weather is always about ready to thunderstorm. Yep. Except today, it didn't look like it today. It's been. The weather has been actually really nice. I love this weather because you guys call it a cold front, but I call it a home front. A home front because, <laughs> like, this is really nice weather in Indiana. And I always forget being down here for almost a year now that it's still, like, really cold up there. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, w- well. I mean, they're, like, getting snow still. It was, like, 20 degrees. Yeah. So if you listen to the show wondering when we're going to get to the anthropology, we'll get there. Don't don't worry. Just uh, <laughs> hold your horses a sec. When's the last time, Spencer, you've been in, in uh, back home in Indiana? Uh oh man, it was a while. In the um, old the old Hoosier state. Yep. Uh, Thanksgiving, I think. Oh, well, that has been a while. Yeah, I don't go home very often because of costs. Yeah, it costs money to travel. Yes, it does. I went home basically to see. My nephew, my brand new nephew, because that was one of the only times I'd be able to to see him. So, okay. And how old was said nephew at such time? Um, he was not even a month old yet. Oh, so a little tiny thing. Yeah. So Maybe he was six, he was, six, seven, eight, nine pounds or so, right? Yeah. So he was a small guy. Um, he's about almost almost six months old now. Oh wow. Yeah. So he's getting bigger. Babies make the world go round. They do. Because that's how you you keep the population up. That's yep. That's how it you make that circle. <laughs> it's a de- it's a demographics issue, is what it is. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, so moving on. Uh, what what you know? So usually, again, if you've ever heard the show, you know the the one of you that's out there listening, live anyway. Um, if you've ever heard the show, you you kind of come to expect that we're going to have all these experts come in and tell us about the work that they're doing. And that's fantastic because really that is how I learn mm. about anthropology. Yep. 
Um, That's how I learn about archaeology. Oh, and you know, actually, I, Spencer, you did introduce yourself, but I did not. No, you didn't. My name is Renee. Hi, everybody. Everybody knows that voice yeah, already. I'm, well, th- th- maybe <laughs> two people. So I, I'm co-host here at uh, Anthro Alert, and I, I help Spencer with um, pushing the buttons on the board that we have. But um, yeah, so normally, you know, you, you tune into the show, and there's, there's, we have a guest who takes us through the process of the research that they're doing. Uh, maybe it's their thesis or their dissertation or stuff that they've done in the past. Or if they're like faculty or alumni, things that they've, things that they're working on now, um, and uh, that's not going to be the case today. No, nope. uh, so no experts today. No, <laughs> there's, there's like point seven experts yep. in, in the room right now. Um, it's, it, if you're, if you're, yeah, it's okay. So there's like point seven experts in the room right now, uh, and the the what we decided to do today, in in recognition of the first uh, Friday of spring time, yeah, yeah. at least here in this hemisphere, is to say or is to actually kind of um, in, talk about our own research and the things that we're doing. Yeah, because we've never done that before. Yeah, and we, and we kind of wanted to talk them out because not only is is the show a good way for me to learn about what people are doing with anthropology, mm. um, and that's, that's exactly what I want to do with Spencer today. Yeah, and uh, Spencer will get the chance to ask me questions, and I'll right. I'll do my best to defend my thesis. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's always good to talk out loud, right? Especially since we're both in the kind of in the midst of of our research currently. Yeah, and um, so if you are a a an undergraduate student that happens to be listening listening to this, and you're wondering what the the whole thesis project is like, and you you. You ask questions and maybe you get like weird cookie answers that don't really answer anything. Yeah, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get those answers today. We're gonna drop some truth on you. Oh yeah, you're gonna be in for a world of of dropped uh, truth. Yep, it's dropping. Yep, um, probably may shatter some dreams. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's just you, you just gotta understand what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, um, because I guarantee that that uh, in most cases nobody you know is gonna holds your hand through the process yeah i think probably my number one advice for somebody thinking about grad school like master's or phd don't go into a graduate program thinking it's not going to be a lot of work yeah right o- or like or because it is <laughs> not, not only the volume of the work but the quality of the work right. needs to be right significantly greater than what maybe you're used to because the standards at undergrad are not the standards of graduate school, right? And yeah. so if you're not used to, like if you haven't pushed yourself as an undergrad to sort of take higher level classes where more is expected of you, it's gonna it can be a rude awakening, right, for some people. Oh, that's, man, that is like the a very great way to say it. Um, because as an undergraduate, like maybe, maybe, and you're like a top student, let's just assume, if you're thinking about graduate school. So you're you're competing with like, a and B students, yeah, or, or students that get like they tend to get A's and B's on their grades, yeah. Like you're not competing with like B, C, D students, yeah, because you know C's get degrees for sure, yeah. But that's not that's not the mentality to carry with you into a graduate program, right? You have to realize when you go into graduate school, like you know, if as an undergrad you were kind of the top percentage of your I guess cohort or class like you excelled, right? You had extracurriculars. You have to realize when you're in a graduate setting, everyone around you is probably at that same standard. Yeah. Right? So now the expectations are higher. Yeah. You're no longer the smartest person in the room. Exactly. And you shouldn't be, right? You should never be the smartest person in the room. No, because like that's like if you're not the smartest person, but if you work the hardest, right? You're the hardest working person in the room. But like, you know, don't. You don't have to be the smartest person. Like that's how you learn, right? If you surround yourself by people that are better than you or smarter than you or whatever, you know. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the same thing in terms of like um, like athletic competition. Exactly. You know, are, are you going to try and be a gold medal Olympian by training with um, people who've never even aspired to be in the Olympics? Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Exactly. You, you got to to perform at elite levels. For whatever it is you're doing, you have to you have to compete or um, surround yourself with people who push at those elite levels. Right, and I mean, I I wouldn't say. Well, I guess some graduate programs are probably really competitive cohort 
but I don't feel like ours is like really cutthroat competitive or anything. Everyone like is fairly collaborative and cooperative. I think, and, and I think that's willing part, to work with each other. And that's part of what I think what anthropology is all about. Yeah, because anthropology isn't a competitive discipline. Well, that's my perspective. Well, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I'm sure some are, but yeah, I'm super naive. I don't really know. I, I don't either. I'm just assuming. My perspective is that it's not very competitive. I think well, we're we're like lucky in that regard, though. Yeah, being in this department. this isn't like this isn't like business school. Yeah, or, see that I've, I imagine that's another environment. Yeah, and and speaking from super ignorance, there I have no idea what goes on in business school. However, I did um, I do have a certificate from a ten day MBA. Oh hey, <laughs> hey yo. Yeah, I, I read a book, and at the end of the book, you get the certificate. Oh nice. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so enough of the idle chit-chat. Yeah. Well, really, well, what it is, it's a good introduction for you if you're thinking about what graduate school in anthropology at yeah. USF is. Yeah. I mean, these are things that you need to be thinking about as an undergrad, right? Yeah. Because going to grad school is a big decision. It's a time investment. It's a money investment. You know, you, sometimes you have to put things on hold or reprioritize things. So, like, you need to think it out before you do it. Oh yeah. Excuse me. <clears throat> because even if you're if you're not paying for it directly, that somebody has to pay for it. Yeah. And so you you I mean it's not it's you, you can't you can't be I mean I don't know, you do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not <laughs> preaching to anybody here. Um all right, so what what we want to do is um maybe we'll take like a, just a real quick real quick break. Mm. And then we're going to get into asking Spencer about his research. Ooh. All right, so um, don't go anywhere. We'll be we'll be back. Really, before you know it, it's going to be just so quick. So, just hang on a sec. So we're we're. I mean, it's the daytime right now, and that song was saying um, da- it was uh, Daft Punk. Yep. And so if you if you're listening to us live, you hear the music. If you're on the podcast, it's like we literally just said we'll be back, and then like we're back. Yep. Um, Copyrights. Yeah, because we do not pay for anything. No, we so we cannot put these on the on the podcast. Right, but we we can like broadcast them on the radio. Yes. Apparently, there's no I don't know about there's no rules there that I know of. Well, I think probably USF takes care of that. Oh U, yeah, USF pays right. for it. Yeah, the F, FCC stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but podcasting, you know, that's our, that's anyway. Welcome back. You're listening to Anthro Alert on. Um, on Bulls Radio, WSF, 89.7, HD3, Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. Learn more at BullsRadio.org. Learn more about the show at AnthroAlert.com. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff on the site, AnthroAlert. Yep. You, can, you can listen to previous podcast episodes. You can watch the different videos that we've done. Usually each episode has a video. Yeah. And if it's not like, sometimes you can't see us. Sometimes just as audio, with like a thumbnail. Yeah, and and that's fine because sometimes people like to listen to stuff on YouTube. Right, and some. I mean, I think the audio quality is better on YouTube. It is much better. Yeah. For now, until we figure out how to pay for true podcast hosting. Yeah. So, you know, just if you have a solution for that, just hit us up on anthroalert.com. All right. So as promised. We're going to ask Spencer about his research, and really the first question there is, hey, Spencer, tell me a little bit about your research. What is, what's like the overview? What's the general stuff you're doing? Okay, so right now, uh, this is from my master's thesis. Uh, so right now I'm working at the Moffitt Cancer Center here um, uh, as part of USF Health. Uh, it's a separate institution, but, you know, they do research and things as well. Specifically, I'm in the supportive care medicine department. And what I'm doing is I'm working with cancer patients that, okay, well, let me back up. So what is the supportive care medicine department? Supportive care medicine offers several things as either uh, post-treatment, you know, your conventional cancer treatment. So radiation, chemo, surgery, um, hormone therapy there's you know several different treatments and so what they do is they offer or they offer massage therapy uh, acupuncture uh, yoga classes either group or individual Um, they also have sort of behavioral medicine services they have 
psychology, psychiatry services, and um, you know they have a, they have a few other things. And so what I'm what I'm doing is working with cancer patients that are using these integrative or complementary therapies, whatever term you want to use, integrative medicine, complementary, um, as either as part of, in conjunction with, or after their conventional cancer treatment. So maybe they're using, primarily I'm focusing on acupuncture, massage, and yoga, just to kind of keep it succinct. And the questions I'm looking at is, you know, I'm looking specifically about cancer experience. So what is the experience of, you know, basically from, okay, now I'm diagnosed, you know, here's X, Y, and Z treatment plan, um, you know, what happens afterwards. So looking at treatment side effects, uh, looking at cancer-related symptoms, um, quality of life questions, well-being questions, looking really at the role of, you know, what these complementary therapies have to offer in that regard. So um, looking at it from, I guess, from a theoretical perspective, what in anthropology we call phenomenology, which is really when you boil it down to the study of phenomena and experience, um, so phenomena like things that happen. Right. Events, things that happen. And then I'm also looking at these, th- this from a, a law and policy perspective as well, health law and policy. Because that's like your interest like from like a public health perspective. Right. So e- even though – well, okay, I almost leave it at that. Yeah. Um, all right. right. So, so in general, you're just asking questions about the experience and the, the phenomena and the things that happen – for for cancer patients who are also pursuing these complementary alternative medicines such as, uh, I think, was yoga, massage, acupuncture. Right. Yeah, so I'm kind of leaving it at that because when you get into, um, you know, they call it like CAM, complementary alternative medicine. When you get into that discourse, there's a lot of tension between sort of allopathic medicine, which we call, you know, just conventional biomedicine and um, – and, you know, complementary alternative medicine. So uh, a lot of where the tension lies is in, like, um, naturopathic medicine, which is, like, sort of the natural, herb, um, like, herbology and, you know, these types of things, the herbal medicines. And I'm kind of staying away from the biologics uh, in that I don't really want to get in that mess. Um, but what I'm looking at more is, like, um, these these therapies being used in conjunction with. So looking at it more from a complementary aspect instead of an alternative aspect. Um, and so, you know, diet, yoga, massage, acupuncture, these are things that aren't necessarily, like, as objectable about, right? Because, you know, it's becoming more and more, there's more and more literature about the benefits of, you know, yoga just in general or, you know, massage or so, you know, or just, like, dieting and, like, having, you know, being a, a conscious about your diet and things. And there's more literature about acupuncture too um, and its benefits. So it's not that large of a step to go from these things can be good for a healthy person to someone with cancer, right? So. Okay. And the, the cancer patients that you're trying to include as part of um, like the participants in your research, yeah. Um, how do you like w- like like how would you describe them? So so one like where do you find them? I don't know if you if, if you're not allowed to answer anything, just say oh I can't say that. Okay. Because um, I don't know. Um, if like so, where do you find them? And then how how do they like how are they eligible to be a part of your sample size? Okay. Or and, and sample being like the people who. I don't know. Maybe can you define sample? Yeah. So sample is basically. Um, so my sample is fifteen to twenty individuals that are willing to participate, and the sample is basically the my study participants that are going to contribute to data analysis. And the idea of the sample is that you're not going to ask every single person who all over ever who who has cancer and is pursuing complementary medicines yeah logistically you can only ask a certain number of people and so right that's that smaller sample is the people you're asking exactly okay 
And like depending, I guess, on what discipline you kind of describe the study to, right? Because it's not a random sample. And so to some, a uh, random sample is the only valid sort of stati- or like uh, scientific design. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily work in the context that I'm working in, right? So I'm, I am selecting the people um, that I then try to recruit. And whether they volunteer to participate or not is, is up to them. Does it matter for you what stage of cancer they're in? No. So my major eligible eligibility criteria are, one, they've had some sort of what I'm grouping in as conventional cancer treatment. So chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, hormone therapy, and I have a few other listed. So that, are they utilizing these services, uh, complementary services in supportive care medicine, either in conjunction with or after they've, after the fact of their, of their, um, cancer treatment um and then next would be you know do they have anything that would make it difficult for them to complete an interview because i'm completing um the purpose of my study basically or you know my data collection method is semi-structured interviews and so as part of my irb i put that in there so do they have language difficulties maybe speech or hearing difficulties that would make them make it difficult to do an interview and then i have um there's one more question in there that's escaping my mind right now. But when I approach someone, or you had asked me how how I got how I get people involved. So I'm situated, I'm lucky enough to have a, a PI that's helped me kind of navigate. So, so what's the PI? Oh, uh, principal investigator. So it's like the person in charge of the research. The perfect, yeah, the person in charge. So because, and so my experience I think is a little bit different than other MA students um, because I am situated within an, an another organization, which may not always be the case. And so because I'm at Moffitt, they have their own separate IRB. And Moffitt is a like a hospital, like a cancer hospital type. Right. Thing. So it's a cancer hospital, but specifically I'm in like the research building. And so because, you know, Moffitt's a teaching hospital, it's a research hospital uh, or cancer center, um, they have their own institutional review board, so IRB. And so, um, you know, what that, if somebody's not familiar with that, IRB basically is the board that you have to go through in order to get your research approved um, for human subject research and, you know, biomedical. It also extends to biomedical research and things um, because there's a whole history of, you know, abusing and sort of ethically compromised research. And so I had to go through Moffitt IRB and USF IRB as a student. And so, my principal investigator, I was lucky to have her, Dr. Laura Thompson. She's the director of integrative medicine at Moffitt. Um, help me navigate that because IRB can be challenging at times. And, and I, I don't think we define IRB yet, but that's the what, institutional review board. Yeah. And they're like the, or the, the governing group within the organization that – gives the okay to proceed with research and they kind of yeah. provide like oversight and, right. and protection for the people who are being studied. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and so I am situated within the supportive care medicine department. And because of that, um, you know, I've gotten my IRB approval already. And so the, the health practitioners there, so the massage therapists, the yoga instructors and things like that, I've kind of, oh, so, so, so these are services available within Moffitt? Oh, yeah, oh, with, I didn't know that. within the department, right. So what what can happen is a doctor can actually refer their patient to these services. And then they can come in to Moffitt, and everything's available there within the department. And so um, since I'm situated within the supportive care medicine department, I'm using the health practitioners there really as like my, my gatekeepers in a way uh, because they've already – form these relationships with the patients that come in regularly. And, um, you know, I have a study flyer. And so what basically happens is I can screen a patient's medical record and see initially if they would be eligible. Because if not, there's no use in in trying to recruit them. And then what happens is I'll notify maybe the yoga instructor and say, you know, X, Y, and Z patient looks like they'd be eligible. Could you could you maybe mention the study and see if they are interested? And, and they do that, and then they give them a flyer, 
And then if I'm there in the office, they'll, they can come grab me and then I'll, um, you know, in a private space, maybe in the room that they're already in, I'll sit down and, and speak with the, with the person. And then, you know, we'll go from there. If they're like, yeah, I'm willing to, to participate, then, you know, we have to schedule a time to do, go over the consent form, uh, which is another IRB regulation. <clears throat> and then we would schedule a time for an interview if they still wanted to go forward. Um, all right. So, so the one of the things I want to know now is how, like, what sparked your interest in in asking questions about this? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of interesting because what I sort of wrote my personal statement about to come here at, to USF is completely different than what I'm doing now. Like your personal statement is like part of your application, right? Okay. Right. So basically, the the essay you write that's like, this is why I should be here and, like, this is what I want to do with this person. Um, but I've always, even as an undergraduate, um, I was really interested in just, like, integrative medicine in general and, like, functional medicine, people call it as well. Um, because at, at Purdue... I studied Mandarin Chinese like pretty extensively and I was part of the Confucius Institute there. And so I was interested in, in Chinese medicine, right? Just kind of like intellectually. And so when I was looking for a project for, you know, several reasons, the initial project that I wanted to do wasn't going to work. And so I was looking around, you know, what am I going to do? I had taken the medical uh, anthropology class here and we had kind of grazed over a few. So who, uh, out of curi- personal curi- curiosity, who taught that? Um, I took it with Dr. Castaneda. Okay. Yeah, That's Dr. Lindy. Same as me. Okay, Dr. Lindy teaches it now, but um, which, I mean, he's great, too. Um, he's actually on my committee, on my yes, he's, master's he's committee. He's on many committees. Yeah, because he's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just looking around, and then I, I ended up finding supportive care medicine in Moffitt. For some reason, I, I can't remember, I stumbled upon it. And then what I was originally going to do, there's also another practitioner here in the general Tampa area that does, um, well, there's several, but one in particular that does Chinese medicine. And so originally my project, I was going to look at sort of like supportive care medicine and Moffitt versus, you know, someone trained that got their doctor degree in China and what they call oriental medicine, Chinese medicine, um, and then kind of look at the comparisons. But um, as it developed um, and my family personally i've had you know i've had people with cancer in the past and and in the present and so that's also interested me just from personal experience um because i know as a family member kind of the experience of going through cancer treatment um and yeah it just kind of uh developed organically i met dr thompson she was really receptive to the project which made it a lot easier and you met her through your interaction with like public health stuff or um, no yeah sort of um i actually just kind of cold emailed her nice that's yeah. never be scared to cold email people cuz because you, you know it could work yeah. out for you so awesome i'm glad i've actually got out. i've gotten a job that way too so it's just like i mean don't be afraid to reach out to people right because the worst they're going to say is no and then it's okay and as a reminder mm-hmm. to our listeners, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to us. 813-974-9285. The lines are open. Yep. Exactly. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. Ask me a question. Yes. I have I have answers. And so, yeah, I think um, it just kind of started to develop organically, which which was nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, I, was, I wanted to know that. And then now, now I really want to know is – so a big part of our a big part of anthropological research mm-hmm. I think academic research in general is right. what theory do you situate yourself in or mm-hmm. from like how do yeah. you how, what's the basis for the questions that you're asking yeah so I already mentioned uh, phenomenology which is really just the study of experience and events occurrences and so that's what kind of initially sparked my interest and guided the initial questions that I had. Um, and just kind of in the in the literature, I've been taking, or I would like to take kind of a historical perspective as well. 
um, and looking at the development of kind of the discourse of, of cancer in the U.S. generally. Um, because my advisor, Dr. Tara Dubell, uh, she's one of the few people in the department that does linguistic anthropology. And so part of my, I guess, theoretical perspective or goals is trying to hook up medical anthropology with linguistic anthropology, which is very rarely done. And um, so I'm what I'm really doing is looking at uh, in the medical context, it's usually done with patient-physician interactions. But I want to take it a step further in looking at sort of the discourse that we create around cancer to begin with. Like like the discourse of we as a community, we as a society. We as a society. Like sort of, you know, it's always the fight against cancer, you know, like the battle, the cancer survivor. You know, like what what are the implications of sort of framing it in that manner and um, – also, you know, what the discourse around alternative medicine just in general is really interesting, sort of like the the pushback of like the quackery or, you know, whatever, how, you know, people kind of phrase their opinions about uh, about certain therapies. It, um, and that's like part of like what you were speaking about earlier, with like the tension between yeah. uh, conventional biomedical cancer treatment mm-hmm. and um, complementary alternative right. things. Right. And I mean, from what I found in my limited kind of experience here is is most people aren't using these types of therapies as an alternative. They're using them as a, like a complement. I mean, the, from the people I've talked to, they know that they have to get their, their treatment, right? That other things aren't going to necessarily help cure their cancer. Yeah. And like, are those, I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but do they do the patients um, that, that are in your study, do they talk about like, are those things covered by their insurance? Yeah, see, that's another question that I'm what I'm looking at here is so I'm looking at questions of quality of life and when well-being and if we can generate research state basically kind of formulating that these things have an impact on post treatment basically getting your life back survivorship um, you know, can we then use that to kind of push more insurance companies to cover this type of thing because the standard is for them not to be covered. So most people are paying for these services out out of pocket. Oh, oh so even though like yoga, acupuncture, massage, those are like the three you're looking at, right? Yeah. So even though those are offered as part of the Moffitt uh, <clears throat> paradigm of health mm-hmm. or, yeah. or those aren't covered necessarily? Not necessarily, no. Oh. Um, so and from the individuals I've spoken to so far, a lot of them are willing to pay for these services if they think they work and if they make them feel better as part of their treatment, right? So um, a lot of it was kind of, you know, people have kind of phrased it as, you know, once the doctors save my life, you know, once my treatment's done, I feel kind of lost in a way. Um, or, you know, it's a way to kind of return to some kind of normalcy when you still have treatment side effects and, and other sort of symptoms, uh, residual long-term symptoms. And so, you know, things like massage and, and yoga have helped not only physically, but also um, mentally and emotionally as well. So, um, you know, also uh, meditation is is another service there that people tend generally do as part of yoga as well. And it's, you know, that, that focus is um, has been kind of used as, a calm in the storm of having to be at Moffitt maybe three or four days a week sometimes or, you know, weekly at least. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that people are using them and see value in them. Okay, I see. Um, all right, so let's take a, uh, let's take a short break. Um, we're we're going to ask Spencer a few more questions because it's actually really interesting. Um, but, yeah, we'll take a short break, so listen to the music, enjoy it. We'll be back very, very soon, so hang tight. Keep it locked on Bulls Radio. Hey, Bulls, you're back listening to WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide at Bulls Radio and TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So thanks for thanks for coming back and joining us here on Anther Alert. Well, welcome back. Um, this hour we've been actually talking about uh, Spencer's research, um, and this is this is good stuff because you're you're getting to hear what it's like to be a graduate student here 
at the University of South Florida Department of Applied Anthropology. Oh, wait, is it Department of Anthropology or Applied Anthropology? Uh, I think it's just Department of Anthropology. And then the degree, the is, actually, the degree is actually Applied Anthropology, yeah. yeah. Hmm. You'd think they would make that line up, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Anyway. Is the undergraduate degree just anthropology or is it Applied Anthropology too? Oh, I have no idea. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I don't know because <laughs> so, not so, familiar with any of the yeah. undergrads here. Well, anyway, I'm sure whatever it is, I'm sure it's good. Yeah, and um, great faculty here. So we've been talking to Spencer, and he's been kind of giving us the rundown, detailed look at the research that he's doing for his master's thesis, mm. looking at um, asking questions about the experience of cancer patients. Um, here in Tampa who are uh, seeking complementary medicines such as acupuncture, yoga, and massage therapy. Yep. And, excuse me, so so next is we kind of want Spencer to go through the process of how this research came to be. And so really let's kind of have you start with how, like the conversations that you had with your major professor, your advisor. Yeah. And then how that led into a proposal and an IRB application into the actual methods that that you decided to use for this. Okay, um, so I would say the number one the number one thing that sort of determined uh, my timeline was the date in which I wanted to graduate. So that was like the number one thing dictating how I organized my plan going forward. And so it started, I arrived to this topic a little bit late. Um, So I, well, I think also because I was a, a, well, I still am a dual degree student, but currently unenrolling from the dual degree uh, just because logistics and things. Yeah, that that kind of, that set you back a little bit, that distracted you a little bit. It did. Uh, And I think I would have been in this process sooner had I not done that, because I was anticipating that I was going to be here for longer, um, and then you know for whatever reason <clears throat> decided to to pull out of that but, but on the program. But on the plus side, you know a lot more about health law policy management than you did before. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, the classes that I took, I don't I don't regret that at all. Except um, except maybe one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it was mainly just um, an issue of time. Um, I've been in school a long time, and <laughs> uh, I was kind of ready, kind of yeah, ready yeah, for a break. Yeah, no longer fit in the plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that happens. You know, life happens. Yeah, and and that's you got to reprioritize. That's fine. You can yeah. you can change your mind whenever you want. Exactly. Um, you just have to be flexible. And so going forward, I had to readjust. And so I talked to Doctor Dubell, and was just kind of telling her what was going on. Uh, and she, I'm I'm very lucky. I like Doctor Dubell a lot. Um, She's not only a great professor, but she's a great mentor and she's a great supervisor. Um, she's very supportive, and that's a really important quality to look for in someone that you're going to be working with as a graduate student is that support because you need it sometimes. Um, you need that guidance. And so basically what we did was talked about, okay, when do you want to graduate? All right. Um, what, are the, what are the deadlines? So for our program, we need a proposal. And then you have to do IRB. And then once you start writing, um, what we have to do are, are kind of like defense, right, in, in fall. And then um, there's deadlines for the graduate school to submit your thesis. And then uh, there's deadlines for the department. So we had to lay all those out and then say, you know, here's the, the steps you need to take to meet these deadlines. So um, we started last last semester and basically she was like on this date you should have a rough draft of your of your proposal done and then she read it gave me revisions and I revised those then we sent it sent it to my committee and so as a master's student you have to have at least three professors to form like your committee which reads your proposal and then later your thesis and they're basically like your editorial board uh, in a way. And so I sent that to my... That makes it sound very fancy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the function that they serve. Um, so I sent it to her, 
And then she had about one week to read it and got it back to me very quickly. And then I revised that and sent it to her again. And then she sent it out to the committee. And they they get, um, in our like graduate manual, they get up to two weeks to read that and send you revisions. So I did that, sent it back to them. They approved it. Oh, so, yeah, but, so, uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, um, if, and if they don't get back to you in those two weeks, is it just assumed that, hey, they're good with it? I don't know. I mean, because it yeah. – yeah, I don't know either. I'm not sure. Okay, I, well. I think at that point maybe just send them, like, reminder email halfway through because <laughs> yeah. uh, professors have crazy schedules sometimes, um, most of the time. And so after that, I started, um, started working on my IRB, I believe. Um, through through the summertime because my original goal was like oh great like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna smash this out and I'll get it done before Christmas break and that is not the reality. <laughs> yeah, that that IRB is uh, um, holy holy monkey man that yeah that is a that is a beast and a half. Yeah, and I think as a graduate student like you have to you need to understand that that's going to take some time because it does um as they say during the IRB training it's not going to take you a sunday afternoon to do it yeah no it doesn't it does not um <laughs> it takes you a couple like not only does it take a while to f- like actually fill out the IRB uh because like the wording you use is very important and all this all this stuff um but also, you know, it takes them a while to review it, and then they are going to have corrections for you. Uh, do not think it's going to be a one-and-done scenario because if that happens, I I applaud you because you're an all-star. Um, and so I did that process, and really this whole time I'm working with Dr. Thompson and Dr. Dubell at the same time um, because I cannot say enough about how much Dr. Thompson helped me through this process, um, getting through Moffitt and USF IRB. Um, because the forms you need, the red tape you need to coordinate that, it would I probably would still be in IRB limbo right now if it wasn't for her. Oh, really? Um, and so I had a few extra steps once I got my proposal done because before I could even submit to an IRB, I had to get um, permission from the supportive care medicine department to even carry out the study there. And so I had a lot more sort of bureaucratic things to go through. And I think ultimately everything was approved and ready to go. Um, like the first week of February. And so really after that, I have to think about, okay, again, when do I want to graduate? And so my goal to graduate is December. And so, okay, what do I need to do to accomplish that? So my my goal here is to get all of my interviews done by the end of this semester, so the end of May, and then transcribe those as I go because I am looking at language and, and discourse and things around these. So you're doing, like, audio recordings of yes. the interviews? Okay. Yeah, so I'm doing audio recordings, transcribing them afterwards. Um, and then during the summer, what I'm going to use that time to do is – really to just get into the nitty-gritty analysis. And I have some stuff written up already. Um, I'm going to try to have my literature review basically done by the end of the semester as well. Um, and then, you know, during the summer, just kind of pe- start piecing things together and start working on the other sections of my thesis that I can. And then once everything's transcribed and I feel like everything is sort of I've reached saturation in my analysis, then I'll start filling in that results and discussion portion. And so... How, how do you know when you reach saturation? Um, I'm just going to, like, kind of feel it out. I think once I start getting a lot of repetitions in the in the themes and the patterns that I'm looking for, once, like, once there's nothing new... Um, are, are, you gonna, are you planning on using any software to help you with identifying those patterns or with the analysis? I've thought about it... Um, I'm going to see if there's anything offered free through USF. Oh, so I, I know of Atlas TI. Yeah, uh, I've and, heard of that and one I as well. I think there's like one or two others. Yeah, I think I am going to do that. If not, I'm just going to manually code as I go along, which is also an option. It just takes a little bit longer. Um, and so what I would like is to have a first draft done by the end of the summertime so I can send it to Dr. Dubell 
and then she can give me the initial revisions. A, a first draft of the entire thesis. Of the entire thesis, Which yeah. is like 50 to 100 pages? Yeah, roughly. Um, yeah, it'll be about 50 to 100 pages of, of content, right? So not including your appendices and bibliographies and things. Generally, I, I asked Dr. DeBell, and she said generally they're about 50 to 80. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think some people go beyond that, but a master's thesis... It's a master's thesis, right? It's not a dissertation. Yeah. So, like, um, it's only four people going to read it. Yeah, your, right. Your mom, you, and your advisor. Yep, basically. And your the, committee members. Well, so, the, yeah. five if you're lucky. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, so like, I'm, I'm gonna not try to fluff it up, right? So keep it co- um, concise. Um, make it a a report, right? Um. And so if I have a draft of that by the end of the summer, I can get Dr. DuBell. She can send me initial revisions. I'll send it to my committee. And then November 2nd is the deadline for the graduate school to submit. And so I think when you're planning your project, when you're looking at, one, you need to have, you need to know the date and what you want to graduate. And then second, you want to look at all the deadlines and the smaller deadlines or the smaller dates and deadlines that you need to meet to get there, right? So you need to start at the end and work your way back is how I did it. Okay. And that's probably the smart way to do it right? rather than whatever I try to do. Because <laughs> if not, I think there's a, like... It's just, you just get a lot of, like, uncertainty. Like, you just don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. And I think that's that demotivates you. In a oh, way, I, yeah, dude, I am so demotivated, and you get burnt out. Whereas, like, that's what I was. I was just like, man, I don't know if I can even do this anymore. Like, you know, where's the end, <laughs> dude? I'll tell you, I don't where's know. Where's the end, you know? But <laughs> yeah. and I've kind of gotten a second wind a little bit, and that, you know, things, I've kind of shifted around some of my priorities a little bit. Um, I'm almost done with classes at the end of the semester. I will be done with classes. Which, You're taking two now plus thesis hours. Yeah, two now plus thesis hours, and so really. After you, when you don't have any classes, like you have a lot more time to dedicate to just writing, right? And that makes a world of difference, right? When you don't have, not not busy work, but sometimes busy work, right? I mean, I hate to say it, but some sometimes, yeah, sometimes, (laughs) uh, when you don't have other things that you have to do, um, yeah. So it's tough. Okay, so let me let me see if I can kind of go through everything real quick. Um, Summarize my rambling. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll <laughs> and, and and jump in when I miss something. So, s- basically, starting with the intent of asking questions about the experience of of cancer patients here in Tampa Bay and how the inclusion or the addition of complementary medicines or complementary treatments such as yoga, acupuncture, massage therapy, how that affects their experience as a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, yeah, and then. Y- using um, so theoretically, that's like phenomenology. So the yeah. specific phenomenon, the events and experiences that they have. Yeah. And then um, method-wise, um, s- only semi-structured interviews. Uh, well, semi-structured interviews, but methods and analysis also sort of like doing, um, looking at like content analysis and discourse analysis. Oh, and okay. Things. Okay. So. Um, and you talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Early. So looking yeah. at the language that's used. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. And that's where you're looking at things as um, you said satur- salience and saturation. Yeah. When saturation is, um, you mentioned once you start, you know, you hit saturation once you get, you start to get a lot of repetition. Yeah. In the themes or, or vocabulary or language being used. Yeah. And salience. You didn't say salience. I just introduced that now. But yeah, salience uh, is just kind of looking at what's most important. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then uh, the way you will do that, so you'll code it, and we did, you didn't explain what that means, though. Oh, coding. So I haven't really developed yet what my coding is actually going to be, but it's because basically it, picking out sort of patterns and themes, essentially. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then from there, you're, you're, you have to do a bunch of, like, basically research of, yep. of what's already been published. Mm-hmm. To try and add a lot of background and historical context. Yep, and then basically situate myself in like, here's what I'm contributing that's new, or here's what I'm kind of contesting. 
You can do it either way. Are you are you contesting? Um, a little, yeah. Okay. Contesting as an, as an anthropologist, I think you have to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm contesting a little bit about how, kind of the perceptions about how people think these therapies may be used, and because one of the questions I'm asking is, have these therapies that patients are using changed the way that they think about their illness? Right. So, um, I'm still kind of kind of thinking about about these questions in my analysis and sort of what what I am going to contribute or contest within the literature um, as I'm doing my interviews and you know I'm listening to people speak about their experiences and sometimes I'm just like wow like I never thought about that like that you know and then kind of going back and and reflecting and adding new things yeah um Cool. Well, I think uh, ooh, that's about all the time that we have today. Yeah, we were going to do – well, we were going to interview both of us, <laughs> but I just talked way too much. So yeah. next no, time. Yeah. Well, we we got to stick with what's interesting, and right now that was 100% Spencer. <laughs> all right? Not always interesting, but <laughs> when I am. <laughs> um, no, we ha- no. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a good show. Thank you very, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, that's our, that's our, our show for today. Um, we we are going to do something special for um yeah well that's our show for today don't don't like tune away just yet okay we're going to take a music break um and we're going to come back but not really but we are cuz we're here till 4 but if you're listening on the podcast it's it oh yeah we're going to yeah. um that's it for today we have a, a special thing a that special we're do. department uh oh, well yeah. there's a special department event today uh Dr. Bird and Dr. Whiteford yeah, if you guys are familiar with them. They're they retiring are today. Superstar titans of the field. Yes, they're. If you know anything about anthropology, or interested in medical anthropology or visual anthropology, more than likely you have heard of one of them at least. And so, that is happening later this afternoon. And so we will be there. So the second part of the show today will most likely be a recorded it, it, episode. Yes, we are. Um, yeah, you're gonna. It's good. So don't. You'll hear it. Yep. Stay tuned. And in the podcast, hopefully I'll edit some of this out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks for listening. This was Bulls Radio WSF, 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and stream it worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. This was AnthroAlert. Visit us on AnthroAlert.com, Twitter at AnthroAlert. Yeah. Thanks. Bye.